Good morning. The reading this morning is taken from John chapter 10, and we'll begin reading at verse 1. That's John chapter 10, verse 1. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to kill and steal and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me, just as the father knows me and I know the father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and they, there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason the Father loves me is that I lay down my life, only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my Father." The Jews who heard these words were again divided. Many of them said, he's demon-possessed and raving mad. Why listen to him? But others said, these are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Dylan, there's a bit of a feedback going on. So I don't know if you can mute some microphones, please, because I can hear it. I don't know if others can. Now, friends, this is our last uh, in the series, Jesus in His Own Words. We've looked at chapters 5 to 10 of John's Gospel, and it's been a wonderful time actually coming face to face with the Lord Jesus Christ and hearing His words and seeing the reactions to Him. And um, next week, we're starting a new series in 1 Corinthians chapters 1, chapters 11 to 15. I don't know if you can find, Voter, can you find the advert for that? It's called, it's called... Pardon? We can't. Uh, all right, I'll cut the recording. Okay, never mind. I've been put in my place. Doesn't matter. We start, it's, it's those chapters in the New Testament that talk about tongues and prophecy and those things. And so it's an important part of the Bible for us to get to grips with and to understand. And next week we're starting with 1 Corinthians chapter 11. So you don't want to miss out on that. I think it's a six-part series as we draw the year to a close. Last week, if you were here, we saw Jesus heal a blind man. If you weren't here, you can 
catch up on any of the podcast platforms or our website. Um, you might remember that the response to the miracle, if you were here, if you heard the talk, was a mixed response. Some were neutral about Jesus. Uh, some were afraid uh, to associate with Jesus because there would be a social and a cultural cost to that. But the strongest reaction was from the Pharisees, the religious leaders, who responded, you might remember, in blind hostility towards the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, chapter 10, the part that Lauren read for us, um, is part two of the story. There isn't really a break between the end of chapter 9 and the beginning of chapter 10. And if you ever look at the last verse that Lauren read for us, verse 21 this morning, you will see that this bit of goes actually with last week's bit. But others said, these are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? That is a reference to last week's passage, and therefore the two passages go together. Jesus, in this passage, is still addressing uh, the Pharisees, and he uses the language of a shepherd and his sheep. And so I want you to notice four things with me from these verses. Number one, verses one to six, the true shepherd, the true shepherd. Uh, in the first six verses, Jesus contrasts a true shepherd with a thief, who is also in verse five called a stranger. It's important to know the difference between a shepherd and a thief, don't you think? I'm told that in South Africa recently, there were 29,000 cases opened involving stock theft. Apparently, it costs our economy 1.3 billion rand every year. And so knowing the difference between a shepherd and a thief seems to me to be a crucial thing. And Jesus uses two metaphors to show the difference. Um, you can tell the difference between the true shepherd and the thief, number one, by their relationship to the gate, and number two, by their relationship to the sheep. Um, and so verse one and two, very truly I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd. There the focus is on the gate. The true shepherd enters through the gate while the thief scales the wall at night. The true shepherd has the right to be there, and so he goes in in broad daylight in the front through the gate, but the thief has got to get in some other way because he knows that he is an imposter and he doesn't want to get caught. Then Jesus talks about the sheep in verse 3 to 5. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. They will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. You can see the difference between a sheep, sorry, between a shepherd and a thief in their relationship to the sheep. The sheep know their true shepherd's voice. They trust him. He leads them, and they follow they don't treat a thief like that. But look at what verse 6 says. I hope you've got a Bible open in front of you in some form or another. Um, but in verse 6, Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. What does that show about them? 
that they don't know their master's voice. They are not sheep. And so Jesus has to unpack it further for the slow Pharisees who don't understand what it is that he's saying. And he does it in two main paragraphs. In verses 7 to 10, he says, I am the gate. He's going to go back to the gate story. And then in verses 11 to 18, he says, I am the good shepherd. So he's going to go over it again a second time because they didn't get it the first time. Now, before we look at those uh, statements, uh, those paragraphs, I want us to remember the significance of what when Jesus says, I am, in John's gospel. Do you remember the significance of that? It's very important and it really is part of the backdrop to understanding this passage. Seven times in John, Jesus uses the I am formula. He says, I am this and I am that. One of the marks of the special relationship between God and his people is that he gave them his Christian name, which is I am. God is not his name. God is his job description. The Old Testament shows us that God's name is I am. And so when Jesus uses that, it is very suggestive of deity. He's making an implicit claim to deity. Jesus shockingly takes on God's name. Uh, I want to illustrate this for you. There's an amazing scene a few chapters later, chapter 18, when Jesus uh, gets arrested. Um, have a look at this verse. Uh, it's John 18 and verse 5 and 6. It should be on the screen, voter. Um, do we have it there? There it is. Look at the scene. Jesus of Nazareth, they, they, they replied... Uh, I am he, Jesus said. And Judas the traitor was standing there with them. When Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Now that's, that phrase, let's keep it up for a bit. That phrase, I am he, is actually just I am. We're looking for Jesus of Nazareth as they go to arrest him. Who's Jesus of Nazareth? I am. And when he says, I am, what do they do? They fall to the ground. They do what everyone does in the presence of the living God. They fall to the ground on their knees. And so let's remember that as Jesus speaks, when he says, I am, I am the gate, I am the good shepherd, he is making a deity claim. The right response to Jesus, we saw it last week, didn't we? The last verse of chapter 9. Um, no, not the last verse, sorry. The one where the man worships Jesus, verse 38 of chapter 9. The man said, the blind man who was now seeing, he says, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. That's the right response to Jesus. Here's the second heading this morning, I am the gate. I am the gate. Jesus is claiming to be the gate to the sheep pen. This is not the main part of the, of the passage, so I'm not going to spend too much time on this point. But I am told that sheep pens in the ancient Near East were sometimes temporary structures made from thorn bushes or branches with three sides to them. The fourth side, the side with the opening, was where the shepherd slept. Nothing could come into the pen without the body of the shepherd being climbed over, 
and no sheep could leave in the night without the shepherd knowing about it because he was the gate. He was the door to the sheep pen. And so Jesus is using the imagery of a sheep pen to explain that the way to be part of God's people, the way to be part of the sheep of his pasture, is really through him and through him only. The way into the kingdom of God is through the one and only door. Nobody gets in unless they come past me. That's what he's saying. I am the gate. Jesus is the only way in to being part of God's people. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I met with um, a, a man who said to me, surely there are lots of ways to God. We're all just saying the same thing in different ways. There's only one God, surely, and, and lots of different religions approach him in different ways. It's a very superficial understanding of religion. Um, it's not what Jesus thought. It's not what Muhammad thought, by the way. It's not what any of the major religions think. It's actually a late modern Western invention, that. Aren't we just all, can't we just get along, and aren't we all just all saying the same thing? I want you to see how offensive this is. I am the gate, not Muhammad, not anybody else, but me. Not good works, not religion, not morality. I am the way, says Jesus. And so we need to not domesticate Jesus. We must hear him in his own words. What he is saying is offensive to our culture. But let me ask you this question. Let me change the metaphor slightly. If you are going to claim that all roads lead to the top of the mountain, like this man did that I spoke to a few weeks ago, all roads lead to the top of the mountain. What's the big fuss about? In order to make that claim definitively, where must you be standing? On top of the mountain. Only God can make that claim. We can't make that claim. And what Jesus is claiming is, although there are many roads on the mountain, there's only one that leads to the top. There's only one gate. It's me. Now, we need to accept Jesus on his own terms or reject him. The thing we can't do is domesticate him. He's not a late modern Westerner who wants to make everybody happy in the room and is conflict-averse. Jesus is quite happy to make an outrageous statement that only God is allowed to make. It's no wonder that opinion is so divided on Jesus. It's no wonder, and I'm jumping the gun now, I'm going to kick myself at the end of the sermon, but it's no wonder that they say of him, he's demon-possessed and he's mad. In verse 20, he's bad and he's mad is what they say. Well, those are the only two options, unless he is Lord, unless he is God, who can make that claim of exclusivity. Now, let's turn to the second metaphor where Jesus spends most of his time and where we're going to spend most of our time this morning. From verse eight of 11 to 18, I am the good shepherd. Now, behind Jesus' statement lies a well-known and vivid Old Testament prophecy, which comes in Ezekiel 34, and I'm going to read it for us. It's, it's 10 verses long, so I'm hoping it's going to appear on the screen. There it is. Thank you. And so that you can follow. Here is a prophecy against Israel. Okay, so let's listen to these words, and this will help us understand what Jesus is talking about. 
the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, set your face against Mount Sire. I'm in the wrong chapter. Sorry, it's, I'm reading you chapter 35. It's a great chapter, <laughs> but it's not serving any purposes this morning. Sorry, chapter 34 and verse 1. Voter was having a heart attack there at the back. <laughs> Sorry, my friend. Chapter 34 and verse 1. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Woe to you shepherds of Israel who only take care of yourselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds, clothe yourselves with the wool and slaughter the choice animals, but you do not take care of the flock. You've not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. You've not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You've ruled them harshly and brutally. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And when they were scattered, they became food for all the wild animals. My sheep wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. They were scattered over the whole earth, and no one searched or looked for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, because my flock lacks a shepherd and so has been plundered and become food for the wild animals, and because my shepherds did not search for my flock but cared for themselves rather than my flock, therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says. I am against the shepherds and will hold them accountable for my flock. I will remove them from tending the flock so that the shepherds can no longer feed themselves. I will rescue my flock from their mouths, and it will no longer be food for them. It goes on. It's a beautiful chapter. It's a tender, gentle chapter. He says things like, As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so I will look after my sheep. Verse 12. Magnificent. And so they were selfish, the shepherds of Israel. He's talking about the Pharisees. He's talking about the leaders, the spiritual leaders um, of the Jews. They were selfish. They fed themselves and they didn't worry about the sheep. They were negligent. They didn't protect the sheep and they became food for the wild animals. They were, they were not concerned for the lost. They didn't go and find the lost sheep. They wandered around aimless. The leaders of Israel had been entrusted with the people of Israel, and they had failed. They were bad shepherds who had not taken care of the flock. Woe to the shepherds who only take care of themselves, who have ruled harshly, who have not taken care of the wounds. Therefore, God makes a wonderful promise that he himself will come to be the shepherd. I will rescue my sheep. I will search for the lost. I will be the shepherd of my people. I will heal their wounds. Can you see how that helps us understand John 10? When Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, he is claiming Ezekiel's promise that God himself will come and shepherd his neglected sheep. Now remember, we know from verse 6 that he's speaking to the Pharisees. 
the very group who were tasked to be the shepherds of God's people in Jesus' day. They are living examples of the bad shepherds of Ezekiel. But Jesus is the good shepherd. And there are three things that make him the good shepherd according to this paragraph, verses 11 to 18. First of all, he will die for his sheep. Do you know he says it five times? Not like the robber, the thief that comes in, or the hired hand that looks after the sheep, who's just a mercenary, who's just after the money. I'll look after your sheep for some, for some money. No, no, this shepherd will actually lay down his life for his sheep. He says it in verse, look at verse 10 and 11 of back in John chapter 10. He says, um, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The, the, the thief, the robber, the bad shepherd, the hired hand, well, they will lay down the life of the sheep for their good. But Jesus lays down his life for the good of the sheep. He says it again in verse 15. He says it again in verse 17. And he says it twice in verse 18. He is so selfless as to give up his very life for the sheep. And look at verse 18 of chapter 10. No one takes it from me. I lay it down on, of my own accord. It's a voluntary laying down of his life. Such an important point. No one took it from him. He is in total con command of his death. He doesn't die as a martyr. He dies as a savior. Very important point. So that we may live, so that the sheep may have life. His, his death is not something that happened to him. It's what he chose to do. And so his death is voluntary, according to verse 18. I want you to notice also that his death is substitutionary. Verse 11. Um, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep, that is, instead of the sheep. In the place of the sheep. The sheep are under the sentence of death, but Jesus will die in their place. And so it is substitutionary. At the Passover in Egypt, the lamb died, do you remember, for the firstborn son? Here, the firstborn of God, the Son of God, dies for the sheep. In the death of the good shepherd, he gives himself so that the sheep may have life to the full. Life to the full. Did you notice that in verse 10? Um, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I wonder what you think the full life looks like. Our world offers many, many things to make your life full, doesn't it? The absence of rules. If you could just shake off all of the rules that you've learned growing up, you will have life to the full. Enjoy it to the full. Put the handbrake down. Or maybe the presence of wealth and riches and things for the measure of the good life according to our world is really he who dies with the most toys wins. That's our culture, materialism. Jesus offers something else, life to the full. And then I want you to notice that his death is victorious. Look at verse 17 and 18. 
the reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me. I lay it down of my own accord. And listen to this. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I receive from my father. He's talking about the resurrection. He has a cross-reference to help us understand this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 27. It says, The last enemy to be destroyed is death, says Paul, for he has put everything under Jesus' feet. When he says that everything has been put under him, it's clear that that doesn't include God himself, but God put everything under Christ. The resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ shows that there is nothing that he is not the Lord over. His death and resurrection brings victory. And so he dies for the sheep. Secondly, he defends the sheep. Verse 12 and 13, the hired hand doesn't own the sheep. He abandons them. He doesn't own them. He doesn't care about them. He is a mercenary only interested in money. At the first sign of trouble, when he sees the wolf coming, he saves his own skin. Look at verse 12. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. But with the good shepherd, there is a different relationship. The good shepherd cares for me. Look at verse 13. The man runs away because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. But I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. What a wonderful statement of intimate, personal relationship. Do you know Jesus? Do you know the shepherd? It's the language of, of, I love the language of verse 14. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Can you see it's the language of possession? It's the language of deep, intimate, and personal relationship. The good shepherd owns me. He is my shepherd. I belong to him and he loves me personally. Unlike the many unscrupulous religious leaders of Israel and unscrupulous religious leaders in our day and age today, many in churches who are there because they are self-serving, because they want something from the people. It gives them something, money maybe, or status, or approval, or affirmation. I don't know what it is. Jesus wants nothing from the sheep, but he'll give everything. He'll defend them. He knows us. I mean, look at how amazing this statement is. You can hardly believe it. If it wasn't written in black and white, you'd never believe it if I told you. Look at verse 15. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep, That is, Jesus knows us in the way that Jesus knows the Father, just like the Father and the Son know each other, so the shepherd and the sheep know each other. He compares the relationship with us to the relationship with the Trinity. What an extraordinary statement that is. He knows us, and, and we can know him. You can know God as your shepherd, not as the policeman, not as the judge, not as the executioner, but as the shepherd, 
the good shepherd who loves the sheep, who tends to their needs, and who sacrifices his life for them and defends them. To belong to the flock of God, friends, means to belong to the greatest care scheme in all the world. To belong to the flock of God means that you have entered into a relationship with Jesus that is similar to his relationship with his father. One more thing about the good shepherd that I want you to notice is that he draws his sheep. He calls them. You'll see it in verse 16. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. Who do you think that is? Well, it's you and it's me. Because most of us are not Jews. He's talking about the international flock of sheep that he still is interested in. And notice how he draws them in verse 16. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice. And there will be one flock and one shepherd. How do we hear the voice of our shepherd? It's through his word. You will demonstrate that you are part of the flock of God by your response to the shepherd's voice. Have you responded to his voice? Have you heard him call you? Have you accepted him? Have you done what the blind man, the no longer blind man, did last week? Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. It's a wonderful passage for us to hear today, isn't it? With all of the unknowns and the anxieties and the uncertainty of life, of the future. South Africans think about that a lot, don't we? Lots of uncertainties and unknowns that lie ahead. With all of the bad shepherds in the world today and in the church today, self-serving leadership, corrupt, selfish. Here is a leader, finally, that you want to follow, the good shepherd. And he's so different to the leaders of this world because instead of being a taker, he's a giver. He doesn't want anything from you. He wants to give you his life. He is the good shepherd who paid the ultimate price for you. Let's listen to his voice. Let's trust him. Let's remember that if you're part of the flock, he's got, he's got you. He loves you. He knows you. He knows your situation. Let's end on a low note. Fourth heading. Jesus divides. Do you notice this in verse 19? The Jews who heard these words were again divided. Many of them said, he's demon-possessed and raving mad. Why listen to him? But others said, these are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Jesus always divides the room. The, you know, the blind man said, called him Lord, these guys are calling him demon-possessed, bad, evil, and they're calling him mad. And really, as C.S. Lewis has shown us, those are the only three options that you've got for Jesus. He's either mad, bad, or Lord. Or as Lewis put it, liar, lunatic, or Lord. 
It's a good way of putting it. And this passage shows us that that's what it is. You've got to make a choice about Jesus. He makes claims that are irrefutable claims of deity. He claims to be the shepherd who is God in Ezekiel 34. He claims to be I am, Exodus chapter 3. He claims to be the gate into which you have to come, through which you have to come. And so I wonder what your opinion of Jesus is. There's not a fourth option. He's not maybe a well-meaning but slightly mistaken teacher. Perhaps a few delusions of grandeur. But actually a lot of what he said was good and helpful for the world. No, you can't dismiss Jesus like that. Don't condescend Jesus like that. He either was bad, mad, or Lord. Those are the options that are presented to us in these chapters. Can I ask you, if he is not your shepherd, who is? What are you following? Who are you following? And will that shepherd lay down their life for you? I don't know of any other shepherd who will do that for you. And so today is a very good day for you to switch shepherds, to hear his voice, and to come to him and say with the blind man, as we saw last week, Lord, I believe, and I worship you. The wonderful news today, dear friends, is that you can say the Lord is my shepherd, who knows me, who owns me, who died for me, who defends me, protects me, and provides for me. And he will lead us into abundant life, according to verse 10. That's a leader I can follow. One that gives rather than takes.